Look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Beware of them, because they will hand you over to local courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to speak, for you will be given what to say at that hour, because it isn't you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to another. For truly, I tell you, you will not have gone through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher or a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? Therefore, don't be afraid of them, since there's nothing covered that won't be uncovered and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a mother against father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it, and anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. The one who welcomes you welcomes me, and the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. Anyone who welcomes a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who welcomes a righteous person because he's righteous will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is a disciple, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Jason. Good morning again, everybody. We are in a series in the Gospel of Matthew. We're looking at chapters 8 through 12, and the series is entitled, Why Follow Jesus? 
Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, which is the story of Jesus' life. Uh, I mentioned this last week, but if you weren't here, it's structured uh, in a very um, set fashion. So Matthew writes his Gospel like this. Action, Jesus in action, Jesus teaching. Jesus in action, Jesus teaching. He does that five times. So there's five um, descriptions of Jesus in action, and there are five major blocks of Jesus's teaching. And so chapter 10 can be read as Jesus's handbook on mission. What Matthew's done is he's collected, in a sense, all the best of sayings and teachings of Jesus on what it looks like to participate in his mission. And he's put it all here in this very challenging discourse on mission. It starts in 936 and runs all the way uh, to what we read, chapter 10, verse 42. The series is called, Why Follow Jesus? And so what's, what's the answer here? We're looking uh, at Jesus' call to mission. We talked about this last week. We looked at the reason for mission. And here, Jesus is talking about all the obstacles to mission. Why follow Jesus? How does this passage answer that question? The answer here is because Jesus calls us to a mission worth living for. It's a purpose that's greater than ourselves. And here Jesus says it's actually a mission worth dying for. Last week, as I said, we looked at the reason for mission. Why is Christianity a missionary faith? And today we're looking at the obstacles to mission. Jesus spends uh, most of his time in this missionary discourse talking about all the obstacles his followers will face if they join his mission. This this week, this weekend, for July 4th weekend, we went camping, our family went camping. Uh, We are still, I would say, new, novices, rookies when it comes uh, to camping. And so uh, it's uh, it's a lot of work for us. We have to gear up and figure out how we're going to do this as a family. Uh, The So this camping trip, the organizer, one of the organizers of this trip, right before we left, sent an email. And in this email, uh, to help us be prepared, to help everyone know what we were looking at, uh, had a list of a number of things in this email. And it said like this, my paraphrase. And number one, be prepared, it's going to be freezing, like literally freezing below 32. There will be lots of mosquitoes. It's very high. You might not be able to breathe. And there could be bears. So the person sending this email meant very well. He wanted us to be prepared. But when I read that, what I was thinking was, why are we going camping? (laughs) Let's just stay home. I share that because that's a little taste of what it feels like to read this discourse on mission by Jesus. But his is way more intense than that. The stakes are a lot higher. This is intense teaching. If Jesus is trying to sell us to go on mission with him, say, why follow me? Because I've got a mission for you. I'm going to recruit you into this. This doesn't seem like the best recruiting pitch to me. Join my mission. You will be misunderstood. You will be hated. You will suffer. It will divide your closest relationships. And you may even die. Who's up for that? Wow. 
we can say thank you, Jesus, for being very honest and upfront with us. This has proven factually true in the history of the church. We know often uh, people who have joined Jesus's mission have faced these kinds of situations. But the question for us today is how can anyone, how can we say yes to this? Yes, Jesus, I will join. Why would anyone say yes to this? Yet, what Jesus is saying is, all of his followers must say yes to this. But it's so hard. So how can we? If there are this many hard obstacles, how can they be overcome? So I can take my part in the mission. If you're here and you're not a Christian, we are so, so glad that you're here with us. We want to be a church that is open and welcoming to Christians and non-Christians, those who have uh, doubts, those who are skeptical, those who are still processing Jesus. For, for this, message, uh, this message, here's what I hope for you, that this sermon will help you identify some of the obstacles to faith in Jesus that you have, and perhaps this morning to overcome those. So let's look at this. Two, two major points. Jesus talks about what are the obstacles, and then he also speaks about how those obstacles are not insurmountable, but how they can be overcome. So first, what are the obstacles? Jesus is very upfront here. He says, there will be obstacles on my mission. What are they? Well, first, there, there are two main ones we're going to look at. First, the mission of Jesus offends everyone. That's the first major obstacle. He makes it very clear here throughout this teaching that his mission offends everyone. Whether you are on the right or the left, progressives, conservatives, religious, devout, or secular, irreligious. We see the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin he speaks of, that's the Jewish court, the synagogues. He says the religious people are going to be offended by my message. He also says the irreligious, or what we might call the secular people, the kings and the Gentiles, will be equally offended by my message. Jesus offends them all, but he's clear. He says it's because of me. All types of people will be offended, verse 18. So with Jesus, there's no getting around this. He offends everyone because he's always making everything about him. He says, because of me, you'll be hated. Because of my name, it's all about whether you're worthy of me or not worthy of me. Look at verse 32. These are the kinds of things Jesus is always saying about his mission. He says, acknowledge me, and you get acknowledged by God. Again, in verse 39, you lose your life for me, you get your real life. So here, this is the biggest obstacle to mission, and Jesus is very upfront about this. He's saying all these kinds of things, directing all the attention to himself. And no other religious leader or religious founder spoke like this. Everyone else said, it's not about me. It's about my teaching. It's about the commands, the path, the pillars, living this kind of life that I'm telling you to live to get the blessing and the approval of God or to advance spiritually. 
Jesus said, no, that is not my mission. My mission is this, to have all people make a decision about me. Everything else comes from this. Nothing and no one else comes close or makes any difference. So this is the priority. This is what it's all about. The most important thing, everything else, everyone else takes a second place to me. And that can be very offensive because Jesus is getting right to the very core of the human heart in saying, that is my place alone. Three times throughout this um, missionary discourse, people people are called sheep by Jesus. When he says, I look at the human race, I see sheep. He says, I'm sending you out. This is 10 verse 16 or... Um, 10, 10 verse 6. I'm sending you out to the lost sheep of Israel. And then here in verse 16, he says, I'm sending you out as sheep. I see sheep. You're going to sheep and you are sheep. We talked about this last week, but that's not a very flattering image. Sheep are vulnerable. Sheep are known to be dim-witted, helpless, wandering, and foolish. They're unimpressive, they're filthy, and they're dumb. And Jesus is saying, no matter how good and accomplished you think you are or hope to be, you are and will always be a sheep. That's not flattering. Isaac already said this in our, uh, in our liturgy. That is offensive. That is demeaning. But Jesus is saying, you cannot earn a place in my kingdom I have to do everything. You do nothing. You just trust and follow me. That's the offense. Gets to the very core of the human heart and our pride. Application. It tells us a lot about what faithful mission with Jesus and for Jesus is. And it's this. It's making everything about him. When that happens, people will be offended. Jesus says it will cause some sheep to act like wolves and attack. Why? Because Jesus goes to the very core of the human heart and calls for allegiance. That's the first obstacle to mission. It's the offense of Jesus. Secondly, Jesus is the obstacle, number one. But we, followers of Jesus, we can also be the obstacle. But we should not be. How, how can followers of Jesus be an obstacle to mission? There are at least three ways. One, we might not even know that we're called to be a part of Jesus' mission. Two, we may know, but we may not obey and choose not to participate in mission. Or thirdly, we can participate but misrepresent Jesus and put obstacles in the place of people coming to know and understand Jesus and his mission. Verse 16 addresses all of these things. Jesus says, look, it's be- the word is behold, look, attention, I am sending you. Now, it's important to know that, first of all, this is an apostolic sending of the 12 disciples. That's who he's talking to. That's the first level of ministry, and it applies directly to their ministry. But it applies to all Christians by extension. And that's how Matthew meant for it to be intended. Jesus Jesus says, verse 16 is like the topic sentence here. Look, behold, attention, I am sending you, my 12 apostles 
and all who believe in their message, you are sent. This means there's no spectator Christian. There's no consumer Christian. All Jesus' followers are a part of his mission. He said the harvest is huge, but the workers are few. You're all sent. Then verse 16, he says, I'm sending you out like, he uses a bunch of animal metaphors, like sheep among wolves, so therefore be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. So here Jesus is saying, there's going to be offense. Here's how you handle it. I think this is the topic sentence of the entire discourse here. Be shrewd, be wise, and innocent. Be shrewd, be discerning and wise, but be innocent. Have integrity and purity. To be shrewd without innocence is to manipulate and to control. To be cynical about people. But to be innocent without shrewdness is to be naive and to suffer unnecessarily. But to be shrewd and innocent is to know people will be offended, but to avoid unnecessarily offending people. To make sure that if anyone is offended, it's for the right reasons, not because of us, but because of Jesus. And the truth is, Christians are guilty of offending people for the wrong reasons. The answer is not for us to edit or tone down or water down Jesus and his teaching and try to be overly shrewd. The Apostle Paul said, you cannot remove the stumbling block of the cross that gets to the core of the human heart and pride. That's always there. That's where we want to lead people. That's an important part of a person coming to repentance and faith in relationship with Jesus. The offense has to happen, so we don't need to edit that out. But at the same time, knowing how hard it is to come to faith, knowing how hard it is to lay down our lives and say, Jesus, I trust you. Make sure nothing gets in the way of people getting to Jesus. We can envision it, if I could give a picture of this, like a road. Jesus says, there is a road people need to walk in order to get to me. And it is a hard road. At the very end of that road, I'm going to get to the core of their heart. I'm going to get to the heart of their pride and ask them to lay it down. Make sure nothing gets in the way between that person getting to me. Don't put any obstacles up. Don't add anything to the message. That is not essential. One Christian leader said it like this. We should have a firm center, but soft edges. I think what he meant is, you want to let people get into the center. Don't elevate or add culture, race, nationalism, anything to the gospel that might cause people to stumble on the road to get where everyone needs to get, to Jesus himself. Much more could be said about that, but I want to move to the second point. Those are the obstacles. Jesus says there is an inherent offense because I'm calling for the very heart and the core of the human soul. But don't put any unnecessary obstacles between me and people as my followers. So be aware there will be obstacles. Secondly, 
Jesus says, but these obstacles can be overcome. Now, I know we've just talked about verse 16. So we have 17 to the very end, 42 to go. But I want to summarize it like this. This is intense. And the reality is, I think the way that we need to read this is uh, to realize that some Christians do experience and are right now experiencing these things the way that Jesus describes. And the reality is, if we experience none of these things in any level whatsoever, we have to ask whether we are compromising and not participating in the mission of Jesus. But not everyone experiences all these things with the same intensity, the hatred, the persecution, and the martyrdom, namely. It's true for the 12 disciples. Ten were likely martyred. The apostle John was not martyred. Many in Peter's family didn't disown him, but became integral to the mission of Jesus, his mother-in-law, his cousin Mark, and Barnabas. So here's how I think we need to read this. Jesus is offering training here for cases in the extreme, so he could speak to everyone who would be a part of his mission. And that makes sense. If you're training people for mission, for example, in the military... If you're training people for a military mission, you train them in the extreme so that they'll be prepared to face anything. The more extreme and important the mission, the more extreme the training. Think about Navy SEALs. So followers of Jesus should know about the extremes and be prepared for it, for them. Because if we are, then we can be prepared for anything, any obstacle to mission. So for the sake of time, we're not going to go line by line, verse by verse, but I want you to see how Jesus' teaching on mission addresses some of the real tough obstacles for us, my Christian friends, to say yes to Jesus when he says, join my mission. The subpoints are listed for you there on page six in your bulletin. We'll go through one by one. First, obstacle one, the words, I don't know what to say. We might say it like this, my Christian friends. We might say, I want others to know about Jesus, but I don't know what to say. I don't have a degree in theology. Parts of the Bible still confuse me. Parts of the Bible still offend me. What if they ask me something I can't answer? I don't want to offend anybody and drive them away. These are all legitimate worries. I feel these things myself. And I talk about Jesus all the time. I still feel these things. We don't know what to say. So we don't say anything. We keep quiet and we keep our faith to ourselves. Jesus says that's not an option. So look at verses 17 through 20. Case in the extreme. What if you're standing before a court, a governor, or a king? Jesus says in verse 19, don't worry about how or what you are to speak, for you will be given what you are to say at that hour, because it isn't you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father is speaking through you. Now, I don't think Jesus means don't study, don't prepare, don't know your faith well, or think about your words, because he doesn't say don't prepare or don't think. He says don't worry. Don't worry about what you'll say. In that moment that God calls you to speak, His very Spirit will speak through you. So if we really believe this, He says, you can stand before a king. And God will give you the words to speak. If that's true, He could speak to anyone in the world. 
It's important for us to see what kind of speaking Jesus is asking for. Look at verse 18. He says, you will be called to bear witness. To bear witness is a legal term. To be called like to the witness stand in a court. That's the image. It's like God is calling you to the witness stand. He says, I call you my follower. Stand as witness. And what is a witness's job in the courtroom? Not to prove the case. Not to win the case. It's to bear witness. To tell the truth. So God is saying, you don't have to prove me to anyone else. You don't have to answer all the questions. You just have to speak honestly and truthfully about what I've done and what I'm doing in your life. Share it all. The places where I challenge you. The places where I've brought you. Just share truthfully. Bear witness. That's obstacle one. The words to say. In verses 26 through 30, we find another obstacle that's probably underneath obstacle one, and that's fear, my fears. I'm too afraid. I might be able to believe that if I have a chance, the Spirit of God will come and give me the words to say. But I'm just still so afraid. When it comes to being a follower of Jesus, called to carry out his mission, there are all kinds of fears that we have. Sometimes we're afraid of just simply publicly identifying as a Christian. We're afraid of that. We can be misunderstood. We can lose a friendship. We can make things awkward between us and another person. We can bring tension into our workplace, all other kinds of implications for our jobs. We can be thought of as weird or backwards or dumb for publicly identifying as Christians. And we're afraid of all that. Because it is scary. And Jesus goes to the case in the extreme again. And he asks us, what's the worst that can happen to you? They can kill your body. That's pretty bad. That's the worst. That's death. But what Jesus is doing here, case in the extreme, he's doing the only thing that can really cure our fears and so that we can probably see them in perspective He's bringing in a greater fear. Do you see how he does this? Look at the text in verse 28. He does it like this. What is the worst possible scenario for you? Death. He said it's not the worst possible scenario for us. The worst possible scenario is to have your soul unprepared to meet God. And so we should all have a holy, reverent, and trembling fear about that. That is the greatest fear. This is a whole sermon for itself, but what Jesus is doing here is laying the only way to live a fearless life. He's laying it out. Without this, we'll be ruled and controlled by fears unless we are sold out on mission with him. We'll be afraid of what we can't control, which is pretty much everything. We'll be afraid of circumstances in the future, the unknown. We'll be afraid of losing our worth and our approval. So our life mission then will be to fight those fears, fight for control, fight to control the future, fight to earn our worth in the world. But Jesus says here, when you fear God, you fear none of that. You can live fearless. He has power 
over life and death and eternity. His providence, his detailed and loving control over this world extends to everything. Nothing happens without his consent. He says a sparrow, which is sold for one thirty-second of a daily wage, when that sparrow is sold, he notices it. It happens under his consent. And he says, do you know how much you are worth to this powerful God of providence? The point is this. If you believe God is more powerful than anything, if you believe that nothing can happen without his consent, and that God is your Father who values you, who gives you worth and approval that you can't lose, then whatever he asks you to do, you can do without fear. He says, don't be afraid. Be fearless. And you can show the world what a life that is not ruled by fear looks like. Application. Verse 26. Jesus says, we cannot settle in to the comfortable option of a private faith. He says, nothing covered up and nothing hidden. There is nothing that will be covered up and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. It's a public faith. If you know for sure, Jesus is saying that something important will be made public, you won't be afraid to make it known, to speak it, to proclaim it from your roof if you have to. If this information can help people, it would be wrong for you to keep it private, right? I know all of us are on edge because there were recent earthquakes. But if somehow you were able to predict the future, if you had this knowledge, there is a big earthquake coming. And you kept that knowledge to yourself. Jesus says, that would be wrong. Because you have something that can prepare people. This will be a public event. So the private faith is not an option. How might this look for us? First step is just be willing to go public. Be willing to identify with Jesus in simple ways that you are a Christian. Secondly, this helps us understand what it means to be a true friend to those whom God brings into our life. The things Jesus has whispered to you, the things he has taught you, that mean the most to you, the most important truths in your soul, the things you would say that are the bedrock realities of your life that you can't live without. Jesus says, go ahead, share those with your friends. Because what is friendship? Friendship is when we share the most important things of our lives with each other. We share our heart. We share our values. We share what's most important. So if you're hiding or covering those things up, you aren't being true. You're withholding a part of yourself from your relationships. Jesus says, go public. Don't be afraid. We'll take the final two obstacles together. There's the obstacle of our words, our fears, and the final two. What will I lose? The cost. And lastly, the reward. What will I gain? Every real mission, every real purpose, if it's worth engaging and embarking on, it involves a real cost, 
And so we always do a cost-benefit analysis. If you want to be the best athlete, it will cost you a lot of training. If you want to be the best in your field, it will cost you a lot of time and study and work and sacrifice. Jesus says, the cost is very clear. In verse 38 and verse 39. What will I lose? What will it cost me? You will lose your life. The only people who carry out the mission of Jesus are those who take up their cross and follow him and lose their life because of him. One of the most challenging things Jesus ever said is here in this text when he says, I didn't come to bring peace on the earth. Don't assume that. I came to bring a sword. I came to bring division into the household. What is he saying? Well, this sword, first of all, is not a a military sword. It's not an actual sword. This is the sword of decision. The call to decision, Jesus says, will bring division. From many other places in the Bible, we know Jesus is not anti-family, but he gets to the core of the strongest allegiance of his culture and of his time, the allegiance to father, mother, and son, daughter, to say this, if you love anything else more than me, you're not worthy of me, and you don't properly love others as you should. That's the cost. Laying down our lives. Laying down the things that have our heart's allegiance. And giving that place to Jesus alone. What is the reward? Cost, benefit. What will I gain? Jesus says, you will gain your life. Your true life. Your true purpose. Your true mission. To gain this, your old self must die so that I might give you your true self. If we believe this is true, that Jesus' mission is to give us our true selves, our true lives, then the benefit does outweigh the cost. Now, when Jesus says in verse 38, whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me, at this point, we might understand if the, if the apostles, the disciples, were a little bit confused. Why the imagery of take up your cross? At this point in the story of Jesus, what that meant to them was a brutal instrument of, of execution that the Romans used. When Jesus is bringing this up, it's shock value, it's puzzling, they don't understand. What does that mean, take up my cross and follow me? The disciples didn't understand this until after Jesus took up his own cross. How do we know? Because everything that Jesus said not to do, all the obstacles to mission here, as Jesus was headed to the cross himself to take up his cross for them, they denied him in fear. They did not acknowledge him. They held to their allegiances and didn't want to bear the cost. It wasn't until after the cross that these apostles had the power and the conviction and the boldness 
and the courage to move past these obstacles. What made the difference? The difference was Jesus taking up his own cross for them. What was the cost to Jesus? His life, everything. What did Jesus gain? He gained us. He gave everything to have us. And so the logic is we give everything so others can have him. We believe this is true, that Jesus' mission is to give us our true selves, our real lives. And we believe that for other people. And the benefit far outweighs the cost. Just a final thought. Maybe this could be obstacle number five. We might be saying, this is intense. This sounds like all out. This sounds like being sold out for Jesus. And it is. But where do I start? I'd like to take a step forward in obedience to this. Look at verses 40 through 42. It's an interesting way to, for Jesus to end this. This is so intense. This is hard-hitting. This is challenging. And then at the end, he says, just give somebody some water. And that's what this is all about. He says, the one who welcomes you welcomes me. And the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. Here is more of the reward. Jesus says, to join my mission is to welcome more of God into your life. Do you see that? Whoever welcomes you welcomes me and welcomes the one who sent me. When you lose your life for Jesus and open your life to mission wherever he calls, you open up your life to God for yourself and for others. Notice that what Jesus is saying here is you are invited to join a team mission. It is not all up to you. We don't all have the same part to play. But everyone does have a part to play. The mission of Jesus is given to the whole church. So like a baseball team and the coach says, our mission is to win the World Series. It's not one player who pitches and catches and plays all the position and does all the hitting. It's the team that carries out the mission. They all play their part. They all earn the reward. Jesus says, for those who are engaged in mission, whether it's a prophet, a righteous man, even a little one, just a normal, ordinary Christian, trying to follow Jesus in this costly mission, welcome, be hospitable, do this in community together. Encourage those who are afraid. Bless those whom God gives opportunity for mission. Jesus says here, my Christian friends, if we lose our life for him and for his sake, he will give us our true life on mission with him. The one who gave everything for us in order to gain us. Can we trust him and follow him? Let's do that together, church. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, this is challenging. This is hard. We hear your call. 
to lay down our lives for you and for your mission. All kinds of things happen in our lives and in our hearts. When we hear that call, all kinds of obstacles go up, and I pray for us as we spent the last few weeks looking at your call to mission, that you would take down all the obstacles in our souls that prevent us from taking up our cross, following you, from speaking about you when you give us opportunity, from being too afraid to even pray for opportunities. I pray for us individually and for us as a church that you would lead us into mission, that you would give us the boldness, the courage, and the faith, and above all, the love for those, for those whom don't yet know you, that we might, out of love and compassion, point them to you and to their true life that can be found only in your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.